Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Spooky podcast. Pumpkin times. At the time we are recording this, it is almost Halloween. And by the time you listen to it, it will be just in time for the Feronae. The what? The Ides of November. That's got a name? Wherein we honor the goddess Feronia. What? The goddess of basically running wild in the woods and going completely feral. I mean, fucking mood. I've never heard of this before. (laughs) But that sounds pretty spooky too, honestly. What antiques are we talking about this week? Well, I wanted to talk about a very special little number. Special to me for a variety of reasons. And special to everyone. Spirit photography and ectoplasm. Hell yeah. Now, as Strictly Ken knows... I began this research by watching A Haunting in Connecticut. Are we giving the full backstory of your Haunting in Connecticut experience? Because I, for one, find it both adorable and hilarious. Would you like to share, actually, as I will be too bashful to do so? Once upon a time, Dee said, Hey, I'm going to watch A Haunting in Connecticut for the podcast. Because I think your shop sold some of the antiques for, like, props and set pieces? Yes, yes, we did. So, Antique Shop stocked the film, there are antiques in the film, we will discuss the film on the podcast. I'm like, great, let me know how that goes. So, D teams up with our buddy, do we want to give him a code name? Yeah, we'll give him a co- we'll co- code name Pumpkin. I was going to say Soren, but Pumpkin works. <laughs> Soren, oh god. Yeah, no, wait, let's go with Soren. That's funnier. So, D teams up with our buddy Soren, and is like, hey, you want to watch a very bad horror movie with me? He was the only one willing to watch it with me. I asked everyone and no one else wanted to. And I'm not sure the movie was his motive because at some point during this intimate screening, he was like, hey, you want to hold hands? (laughs) Hey, you want to cuddle maybe? (laughs) And D was presumably like, sure. Yes, that yes, accurate. And thus began a beautiful, adorable goth romance. So that's how this podcast did inadvertently lead to me and my boyfriend getting together. We did go on to also watch A Haunting in Connecticut 2 Ghosts of Georgia, the most confusingly named film possibly of all time. When they could have just named it A Haunting in Georgia. (laughs) It literally says A Haunting in Connecticut 2 Ghosts of Georgia and the byline is not a sequel to Haunting in Connecticut because it's not. But is there spirit photography in A Haunting in Connecticut? That was actually the crux that the film was marketed with. Really? Unfortunately, we didn't provide the props for that. We provided some of the Victorian furniture to pad out the Connecticut house that where the supposed hauntings happened. Yeah, the marketing really leaned on this one scene where the children of the haunted family find a hidden compartment of photographs showing a medium spewing ectoplasm from their mouth. Blech. This is how they learn the cause for the hauntings. I won't spoil the movie if you haven't seen it, but I don't see it. I'm assuming the cause of the hauntings <laughs> was this one medium making a big mess spitting all over the house and the ghost got mad. No, it's way dumber than that. Oh, good. And like more elaborate. As they always are. Yeah, I don't recommend it. Among other things, it's based on a true story, big air quotes, ultimately a huge lie. Alternatively, do watch it because apparently it gets you a life partner. <laughs> Maybe watch it with your romantic interests. See how that goes. You can bond over why they named A Haunting in Connecticut 2 Ghosts of Georgia that. So I was fascinated. I'd watched the movie many times before. It is one of my favorite shit movies. Incredible. (laughs) So you were embarrassed to say how you met your boyfriend, but you weren't embarrassed to say that? Well, only one of those two things matters to me emotionally. (laughs) And that thing is A Haunting in Connecticut. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell my boyfriend. It's a good thing he doesn't listen to this podcast. Oh, wait. Uh Uh-oh. 
So yeah, seeing it many years before was actually the first time I had been introduced to the idea of ectoplasm photography specifically. Most people do know about ghost photography from the spiritualist movement, but ectoplasm photography has gotten a little bit weirdly buried, probably because it's fucking strange and extremely easy to debunk. I mean, all forms of spectrophotography are very easy to debunk, but I would love to hear why ectoplasm is unique in this regard. So it all starts with spiritualism, and I say this just because I want to introduce my favorite quote of all time from History of Spiritualism by Arthur Conan Doyle, where he says, The spiritualist movement is the most important in history of the world since the Christ episode. And he made Sherlock Holmes, so who else can you trust? Imagine referring to all of Christendom as the Christ episode. That little incident. <laughs> that one thing. So in 1860, a man by the name of William H. Mumler creates ghost photography in Boston. A stone's throw away. He probably used double exposure to achieve his results, although ultimately no one knows exactly how he did it. It is proven that he did it by manipulating negatives of photos. Double exposure being you expose the photographic plate once, then do not change out the photographic plate before exposing it again to a different image, thus creating a quote-unquote ghost of the first image on the plate. Yeah. When I say people don't know how he did it, it's just that he had a unique method of doing a double exposure that resulted in generally more good-looking fakes. He just got real good at Victorian Photoshop. Yeah, pretty much. Notably, he did photograph um, Mary Lincoln with the ghost of President Lincoln, probably his most famous thing he did. Arguably his most tasteless thing as well. Absolutely one of his most tasteless moves, although he did plenty of those. And eventually he was accused of fraud and arrested because people really quickly realized that when they were looking at the spirits and the spirit portraits, they looked an awful lot like people who lived in Boston. <laughs> alive people who you could go find and look at alive. That is my favorite part of his whole story. His inability to source actors no one knew personally. P.T. <laughs> Barnum actually took the stand at the trial after he was arrested and railed against Mumler, pointing out how, quote, some of Mumler's ghosts were awfully fashionably dressed for having been dead for so long. I love that P.T. Barnum, of all people, is trying to shame someone for being an entertaining fraud. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if I were in the legal business, he would be my expert for how to defraud. True. So, Mumler was kind of emblematic of a very, very slow decline in the idea of spirit photography, because people had become disenchanted with it after a while, shifted into interest because the spiritualism movement didn't lose any momentum. No way, no how. We still sell Ouija boards. Yep. The interest would be in photos and experiences of mediums at work. So people who claim to channel the spirits of the dead. The precursor to modern aura photography. Very much so. And these photos would be images of mediums channeling spirits, which popularly included protrusions. Protrusions? Protrusions. Which popularly... <laughs> which popularly included protrusions from the medium's orifices, and yes... I used a blanket term orifice on purpose. Oh no. You're very welcome for where this is about to go. Oh no. These would be shapes that were described either as smoky, translucent, rubbery, or viscous and goo-like, called ectoplasm after the plasm that is described surrounding a cell wall. These were most frequently documented through photos. In response to people investigating the validity of these ectoplasmic materializations, Interestingly, darkness was essential for the phenomena to appear, Whoa. and all mediums agreed that light would destroy the organism. Convenient. And also, anyone watching was told that if they touched the ectoplasm, 
it would kill the medium. <laughs> Which is convenient. Yeah, I've got proof. No, you can't look at it or touch it. <laughs> Conan Doyle himself described ectoplasm, as he went to many, many, many mediums, as a viscous, gelatinous substance which appeared to differ from every known form of matter in that it could solidify and be used for material purposes. Notably, he never touched anything, because once he tried and the medium started screaming as if in pain. As if in pain. As if in pain. Even rarer, sometimes these ectoplasmic materializations would slowly and very, very roughly take on the form of the dead one they were trying to convene with. Oftentimes, the dead person they were convening with had nothing to do with any of the people who had showed up and was just kind of a guy that the medium insisted was a dead person they met once. Not to spoil the magic of the mediums here, but I love the image of a Victorian in a dark room, like, hastily fumbling together some, like, blacklight luminescent clay on the table, (laughs) roughly into the shape of a guy. Uh, The reality is so much funnier than even that. Excellent, excellent. But before we get into that, I will give you a spooky description from Juliette Bisson, a collaborator with famous medium Ava Carrier, and probably her gay lover. Yay! Which is why I'm including her in here, but I really like this description. On my expressing a wish, the medium parted her thighs, and I saw that material assumed a curious shape, resembling an orchid, decreased slowly and entered the vagina. During the whole process, I held her hands. Ava then said, Wait. We will try to facilitate the passage. She rose, mounted on the chair, and sat down on one of the armrests, her feet touching the seat. Before my eyes, and with the curtain open, a large spherical mass, about eight inches in diameter, emerged from the vagina, and quickly placed itself on her left thigh, while she crossed her legs. I distinctly recognized in the mass a still unfinished face, whose eyes looked at me. Hey, quick question, what the fuck? So you see why I probably thought they were gay. Um, most of the documentation of Ava Carrier's spooky-ooky medium acts seemed to occur in private between her and Juliette Pisson, and it had a lot to do with her vagina <laughs> very often. I mean, there's scissoring, and then there's this. <laughs> now, you might have noticed something strange I said there in that description. Uh, yeah, the part where she gave birth to a half-formed ghost baby, yeah. Mostly that. Disturbingly common. Of course. Especially as you kind of go on. The spiritualist movement basically never died. There are still spiritualist churches today. Are they still doing this, though? No, they are not doing this anymore. Thank God. (laughs) History mostly remembers these as extremely clever fakes. What? Before I get too much into it, I do want to give the people, mostly women here, credit for being some of the greatest magicians of all time. I mean... I feel like there's one trick that neither Penn nor Teller could ever do, and it's what this lady was pulling. My favorite, personally, would be Mina Marjorie Crandon, who was very famous for giving birth to ectoplasm, as we've described unpleasantly earlier. She would go on from producing ectoplasm from the eyes, nose, and mouth, and ears, which was extremely common, to her belly button, hands, and, of course, vagina, on to, later producing a hand from her vagina, which appeared to be the lung of some animal surgically manipulated to resemble roughly in shape a human hand. What? Later, according to a historian named Francis Russell, 
who had recalled the confession of a man who had attended several of Marjorie's Mina Marjorie Crandon seances. Yeah, I wonder why they were so popular. A great question. Marjorie produced an ectoplasmic hand and we were asked to feel it. As soon as I touched it, I knew it was the hand of a dead person. It was small, either a child's or a woman's, but dead. I understood then Dr. Crandon was a surgeon and he could sneak such things out of the hospital. She was married to a doctor, and at some point she had taken a dead child's hand and stuffed it inside herself. I don't know that that's what happened. I feel like a more likely explanation is this guy, who doesn't know the difference between a woman's hand or a child's, also doesn't know the difference between a dead hand or a living woman's hand that's been dunked into some old milk or something to be wet and cold and clammy. Also possible, although she was recorded to have produced meat, like earlier suggested to be animal lungs that have been stitched together. Might have just been that too, which would feel pretty yuck. And if you put your hand into this bowl of peeled grapes. <laughs> it's the eyes. From her vagina. <laughs> I mentioned her specifically because Houdini hated her the most. <laughs> Why? Houdini was very staunchly anti-spiritualist, had done spent a lot of his spare time proving spiritualists to be frauds, and Mina consistently thwarted him, although he was positive she was faking it, which I think we can all kind of agree with. Was he okay? I'm about to be very rude to Houdini, but is it possible that he lacked... I mean, he was married, so he had, like, some familiarity with how all that anatomy worked. <laughs> but he was perhaps not the most versed in this particular aspect of human anatomy. No, no, it wasn't that. It was just that she was an excellent magician, most likely. He did one experiment where he basically stuffed her whole body into a box and only left her head and hands out, and said, all right, give me the ectoplasm now. <laughs> and she still did. <laughs> and when they checked the box to figure out how on earth she had done that, there was a ruler inside the box on her skirt. Many people all at once had witnessed her being enclosed in this little escape room box without a ruler, and she had somehow procured one. So she was just probably a very good illusionist. And Houdini hated that about her. <laughs> I'm just picturing Houdini, furious, tearing his hair out, being, it's not fair, she's got a whole extra pocket. <laughs> basically, I mean, like, basically, though. <laughs> when Mina Crandon was on her deathbed, a friend had asked her how she had produced much of the phenomena that she did that could not be proven, and she responded, all you psychical researchers can go to hell, and added, why don't you guess? You'll all be guessing for the rest of your lives. All right, I love her. <laughs> Hot take, I'm in love. <laughs> yeah, she kind of fucking rules. And even more famously, we have Helen Duncan, the last woman in world history who would be imprisoned under England's witchcraft laws. Oh. Now, before you get too excited, nobody believed her. England's Witchcraft Act actually had provisions for people faking witchcraft. Oh. And she was probably one of the most often photographed ectoplasm mediums. And she kind of engaged in some of the, like, craziest stunts. She would produce ectoplasm, usually from her mouth and nose, sometimes through her ears and eyes. And occasionally the ectoplasm would end up being attached to a draping form with a haunting face. Ooh. Sometimes also, from the side of her mouth or just parts of her head, she would produce a ghostly hand. Ooh. In an effort to prove that she was faking it before she was imprisoned and to imprison her, she was cornered by psychical researchers. Turns out, 
Again, probably this, very likely this, but never proven, she was probably just an extremely good regurgitator, and it was assumed that she would swallow huge gobbets of butter muslin greased in, like, lard, and then regurgitate it through her mouth and nose. That is why Houdini was so good at escaping, was because he got real good at, like, holding keys in his esophagus. So again, I'm just imagining him seething with jealousy. <laughs> yeah, she was wicked good at it. Because, like, the amount... Like, you see some of these photos. The amounts that she was pulling out are crazy. <laughs> I see you, your string of scarves, and raise you. <laughs> Whatever the hell this is. And then Mina Crandon comes along and she's just like, Ha! I gave birth to 30 ghosts while your head was turned. <laughs> So one photographer, Harvey Metcalf, attended one of her seances with one of the fresh flash photography cameras to get pictures with full lights and found out that the especially spooky ectoplasm attached to a conjured spirit in body was a papier-mâché mask draped with an old sheet on a lamp. Is this why Karnacki is always insistent on bringing his flash camera to investigate ghosts? Probably related to that, yes. Flash photography became very important in debunking mediums. Or is it that flash photography being a source of light killed the magic? I mean, that's that's what the spiritualists would have you believe. <laughs> Many of the hands that would protrude from her were actually just gloves. What? Just gloves. Draped in fabric. Impossible. Where did she get gloves? <laughs> and the ectoplasm she regularly regurgitated was proven after a sample was obtained to be cheesecloth and paper slathered with egg whites. Incredible. Which she put in her body and threw back up. A for effort. <laughs> Metcalf also wanted to x-ray Duncan after a controlled seance to prove that she had something in her body, and she was recorded as having jumped up and dealt him a smashing blow on the face, which sent him reeling. She then made a lunge at Dr. William Brown, who was to conduct the x-ray, who avoided the blow. Suddenly, without the slightest warning, she jumped up, pushed someone else aside, unfastened the door, and dashed into the street. Hell yeah. <laughs> After that, returned and said, now we can do the x-ray. But everyone had kind of figured she'd just gotten whatever she'd stuffed in her out. You know, probably. <laughs> and as a result, she was proven a fraudster and was imprisoned for nine months. When she was released, she went right back at it and was imprisoned again, after which she shortly died. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> So did this come up in a haunting in Connecticut? No, none of this did. This was all my fascination with ectoplasm photos, which when I was young, I believed were real. Aw, baby D. Because if you look at ectoplasm photos, especially with the low light and camera quality of the time, especially the Victorian ones, the ones from the 1920s are a little more obvious and easy to debunk. They really look arresting. Of course, once you know what you're looking at, it's very easy to go, okay, that's cheesecloth. But they are beautiful images and really haunting images. And you can imagine even now, but at the time, they must have been horrifying. I mean, I'm horrified at knowing how it was done, but I feel like that's a more uh, grounded horror than the cosmic horror of I can't tell the difference between a woman's hand and a child's hand and I'm very frightened. I spent a week looking into this and I found out a Danish man, one of the very few male mediums, this is very much a women's craft. Well, I mean, they got the extra pocket. One D Danish man remembered that he also had a pocket and was caught hiding ectoplasm in his rectum. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pocket for everybody. Everyone gets one pocket. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite medium session props that I read about was a long evening glove stuffed with wool on a stick. 
that in the darkness they would prop up under the table and have touched the guest's legs. That is incredible holy <laughs> shit ex- extremely funny my new favorite artifact how magical <laughs> another one basically had a black glove that was covered in glitter i mean obvi and one person just stuffed a baby doll a little porcelain baby doll attached it to a stick and taped the stick to her shoe so that when she called it it could be propped up over the table to peer at the sitters from the netherworld oh my god that's amazing <laughs> puppetry the sleight of hand <laughs> that's not like a lot of people focus on the like how, how dumb were the victorians that they were like fooled by this stuff and they don't focus on how good at magic were these people because they were all just folk <laughs> illusionists basically most of them didn't have any training i would love to have any one of these women but ideally all of them somehow get onto pen and tellers fool us oh my god crandon especially yes <laughs> Uh, yeah, so these are kind of the extreme of spirit photography, and this is one of those collectibles where it feels like all of the ones that exist have been collected, and that might be the case. Psychical research is a thing that you may know we still do today, and most of these photos were collected by those people to try to debunk them, and sort of exist in their collections to this day. But another thing I've learned from spending this much time in antiques is to know that no one ever has all of anything. Yeah? Exactly. So when a customer shows up in your shop the first week of December and asks you, what do I get for the man who has everything? What you do is slam both your fists down on the counter and say, joke's on you. No one has everything. <laughs> I have done something very similar minus the physical theatrics because that scares customers. <laughs> and then usually I just show them to the goddamned weirdest thing I'd seen that day. <laughs> And they would quickly become disillusioned with the idea of a gift for the man who has everything and find something for the man who has a lot of things that he likes. <laughs> Sometimes I forget that not everyone has the stomach for shelves full of disembodied glass eyes. And I say, well, does he have one of these? And she says, no, because he would scream. <laughs> Finally, a novel sensation for him. He's been craving one these past years. You'd be surprised at how fast that will jog someone into remembering something the person enjoys. <laughs> or if you're very good at reading a room, sometimes they're just excited that you knew what they were talking about. <laughs> what do you get for the man who has everything? And then you just like slowly stretch out and poke them with the glitter glove on a stick. <laughs> right, in, right in their leg. <laughs> and you go, a haunting. <laughs> And you sell them a clown doll. Oh, available now in our Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash antiques Yeah, I gotta wrangle this other one. He's been extremely hard to photograph. Because he's normal? Because he's a cool and normal clown? Because <laughs> he's a regular clown. Okay. Yeah, so obviously I think it kind of goes almost without saying that if you came into possession of one of these photographs, they would be worth an awful lot of money. Yay! And one of the other things about spirit photography, kind of the more general like ghostly apparition ones, is that there isn't anything saying that anything you find with a double exposure of Victorian photography isn't a spirit photograph. Which is super fun and you can get a lot of money for that. There's nothing in the books that says a dog can't produce ectoplasm. Ugh. No, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> well, there's our one contractually obligated Airbud reference per episode. You're welcome. Who contracted that? We ever figured that out? Someone on Patreon. At patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks. <laughs> if you want to pay us more than that person to stop making Airbud references, check out our Patreon. <laughs> I wanted to leave on this note about the haunting in Connecticut which, again, I think I mentioned before, is based on a true story, quote, unquote, unquote, unquote. 
A quote from Ed Warren, the man who popularized the story. He had a ghost writer, basically, who was working on the book that would become the script. A ghost writer? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> how droll. Because he's haunted. Because it's ghosts. Notably, he went to talk to the family that this story was based on, the Snedekers, most of which are considered blatant liars because they complained about this extreme haunting and then proceeded to live in the house for three years. You'd be amazed at what you can get used to. That's what they said. <laughs> he interviewed the family and found out that none of the stories made any sense. They didn't mesh. They changed frequently. So he went to Ed Warren with the problem to sort of like work on the narrative and see what Ed thought of it because everyone thought Ed was a guy who communed with ghosts and he said, ah, those people are crazy. You've got some of the story. Just use what works and make the rest up. Just make it up and make it scary. Because if this podcast is ever going to have a secondary job, it's going to be to discredit the Warrens. <laughs> My music box just started up. I love that it did that just as you discredited the Warrens. <laughs> Ed Warren, out of this house. Ed Warren, out of this house. <laughs> What if I did get haunted by the Warrens, though? That would be, I think, the most delicious form of irony. In what way is that ironic, Ken? Don't you think? A little too ironic. And yeah, I really do think. It's like, Ed Warren, in, in my music, music box. box. <laughs> wow. I love it. I love it so much. And after my own strange romantic story, I thought it was time to finally use all that research I did. Yay! Did you have any questions about these haunted ooky spooky people and the gross things they did? So what antiques did you sell to a haunting in Connecticut? A series of chairs, which actually ended up showing up in the stacked chairs scene. Very scary. Is it the scene where a ghost stacks chairs? Yeah, yeah. It's, they were just junk chairs. Incredible. The thing is, like, a lot of it was like, it's a junky old funeral home. So they bought a lot of junk. What era junk we talking? Mid-century modern. It was, um, what was the period that was about 20 years after the Victorian era? Edwardian or Gilded Age? Definitely Edwardian. There was some Edwardian and then some, like, East Lake thrown in. Ooh. Because, like, nobody knows what Victorian actually looks like. And, like, some people will look at East Lake and be, like, close enough. So there's, like, an East Lake dresser. There was a light fixture, but it was extremely dull. Like, just, like, one of those wire light fixtures with multiple bulbs. Sure. They went very austere. And if you look at the movie, it's extremely austere set for, like, an old funeral home. It very much looks like they kind of bought what they needed to do a scene and then nothing else for set dressing. An extremely practical approach to filmmaking. It's not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> and yet... It brought two good people together. Oh, God. Aw, you. <laughs> Interestingly, the upcoming sequel to Hocus Pocus features many antiques from New Bedford. None from my shop because it shut down, but all of the other shops in the city have had a hand in it. I'm actually really curious as to what individual pieces. I'm probably going to go down there and ask. We'll report back. Just in time for Saturnalia. Because <laughs> it's Halloween year-round when you're goth. It is. Sources for today include blog.oop.com. The History of Spirit Photography, HistoryExtra.com, Helen Duncan, Scotland Witch, Ectoplasm Spirits. I love how some of these articles come up. CabinetMagazine.org slash issue 12, Warner. TheGuardian.com, Mary Hooper Ectoplasm. NewYorker.com, why did so many Victorians try to speak with the dead? Daily.jstore.org, Ectoplasm and the Last British Woman Tried for the Witchcraft. And easily one of the favorite things I've ever read in my entire life, Colorado.edu Genders Archive, Body Technologies, and Birth Ectoplasm. 
which is an extremely fascinating read about the intersection of feminine identity, feminism, and the spiritualist movement. Incredible. And has some of the more delightful moments that I mentioned in this episode. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. Stop that. Music box. Won't. Shan't. <laughs> if you liked hearing my music box go off at creepy moments, consider scrolling on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leaving us a review. 10 out of 10. That's the most music box I've gotten on a podcast that wasn't specifically about music boxes. Our music boxes episode coming soon. It's going to be a difficult one. <laughs> There's a lot to say. And it's all haunted. Yeah, I think they rank number two under haunted objects right underneath dolls. We recently received a lovely review from Meegbo titled My Favorite Podcast Ever. Ooh. Ken and Dee are so down to earth and super funny. They have the best sense of humor and so easy to listen to. They are my favorite podcast by far. <laughs> my only issue with them is that I want more. Highly recommended. Aww. Extremely sweet. We're already recording once a week. We're doing the best we can. Twice a week if you include the bonus episodes we do over on our Patreon, where we are reading and reviewing the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood. And you can listen to that over at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks. And believe me when I say that while doing the podcast is extremely fun, boy, howdy, is doing Varney the most fun of all time. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.